Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson. I am an author, yoga teacher, healer, social worker, dismantling racism trainer, activist, and grief worker. This podcast emerged from work based in the exploration of collective grief and liberation. It exists to remind us about all the ways we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times, and to remind us about the resilience and joy that comes from allowing ourselves to find refuge. I'm so excited for today's interview with Sean Johnson. I met Sean at the Asheville Yoga Festival a year and a half ago. Maybe it was longer than that, but that's where we first met in a workshop where I was teaching about facilitation. And we talked after, and I was able to travel to Wild Lotus in New Orleans to teach a dismantling racism workshop for his teaching staff. And since then, have taught in his teacher trainings a few times. I'll tell you a little more about Sean. Sean Johnson is a musician, storyteller, teacher, trainer, and sacred space holder who has been teaching yoga for the last 24 years. He is the founder of Wild Lotus Yoga in his native New Orleans and Soul School, an online interdisciplinary spiritual immersion and yoga teacher training program that focuses on teaching yoga with skill and imagination that he guides with Mitchell Blyer. In all these roles, he relishes creating a playful, tender, brave space for people to open their hearts and voices, sing, and embrace their innate creativity. Sean has a master's degree in creation spirituality from the Naropa Institute in Oakland, with a focus on teaching chant a spiritual practice, apprenticing there with South Indian musician and teacher Russell Paul, author of The Yoga of Sound. In 2002, he founded Wild Lotus Yoga in his beloved hometown and dubbed it New Orleans, home for the heart-centered yoga and down-to-earth spirituality. In 2005, in the harrowing days after Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, Sean founded the Wild Lotus Band, initially as a philanthropic music project, touring and raising funds across the country for relief from the devastation of the storm. Now, 16 years later, the band continues to record and tour, sharing ancient mantras from the traditions of yoga, global chants, conscious lyrics, roots, rock, gospel, and world grooves with listeners worldwide. They are the first mantra music-based band to ever play the New Orleans Jazz Festival. Sean is also the co-curator of the Putumayo World Music's Music for Yoga series featuring artists from around the globe. Sean's first significant initiations into a more conscious spirituality came through the exuberance of falling in love for the first time, and then through the pain and grief of heartbreak. A journey to heal his heart led him to the path of bhakti yoga, which deeply honors vulnerability, creative expression, and art as forms of prayer and spiritual practice. The theme of searching for grace and inspiration amidst challenge, destruction, and grief permeates his music and teaching deepened further by the death of his brother, Jeremy, who passed away in a drowning accident in 2013. Sean is passionate about his Irish roots and ancestry, a pillar of his spirituality. He co-leads online Celtic spirituality gatherings and retreats in Ireland each year with his friend, Ireland native Mary Megan, founder of Celtic Journeys. Sean lives in New Orleans with his wife, Farah, and his son, Finn. I hope you enjoy listening to Sean. He offers two songs to us, which was so beautiful, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, Sean. It's good to see you. It's great to see you too, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, thank you for saying yes to being on the podcast. I'm excited to share space with you and have a conversation with you as well. Thank you. So I would love for you to share some about who you are, what you do in the world. I remember meeting you at the Asheville Yoga Festival, but I didn't connect that that was you. I'd listened to your music for a long time after I was like, oh, that's Sean Johnson. I just didn't know in the moment when we met. And since then, we've connected several times and it's been nice to get to know you. So I'd love for you to share more about who you are. 
Thank you, Michelle. I just want to say how grateful I am to be here on the podcast and also just share that you've been one of the most impactful and inspiring teachers for me over the last few years. And I'm grateful for your presence and your teachings. And it's an honor to be here with you today. Thank you. I feel like a lot of my work revolves around voice in many different capacities. I'm a singer and a teacher, so I use my voice a lot. And I also hold space in different ways for other people to find their voice or express their voice. And that is through founding a yoga community, a yoga studio here in New Orleans, where we have teachers who really have the leeway and the freedom to bring their own spirit and their own soul and creativity to the classes that they teach. And in a teacher training program called Soul School, which we are blessed to have you be a part of, that really fosters an environment where folks have a chance to be in a supported space to express themselves, to really get in touch with their own creativity. I believe that the practice of yoga is so powerful in and of itself, but oftentimes what really brings the life to the teaching of it is the presence of the teacher and the history that they bring to it. And I feel like so much of what makes a yoga practice powerful and land and a kind of transmission can happen is when someone is really embodying their full presence and their gifts, which cultivated from their birth and, and before that through their ancestors. And so I find that we live in a culture, and I know you speak of it as a dominant culture that doesn't really encourage a sense of everyone expressing you know, themselves to their fullest. And I find that at many different levels that there's a lot of wounds around creativity and around voice and being ourselves, so being authentic and being sincere and sharing that in our own unique voice. And so one of my intentions and all the different endeavors that I'm involved in is to try to create a space, a courageous space where people feel supported and feel the freedom in doing that and can support each other in that. And so the forms that it takes is through music, through singing, through kirtan and participatory mantra music where there's a call and response, which I just love that form of the call and the response. There's so many different ways you can interpret that. And I find that many people who have experienced the music that we share, as well as the teacher trainings and workshops, find a sense of healing around their voice and their self-expression. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I feel like a lot of the work that I do really touches you know, upon that. I'd be happy to share a little bit more about it along the way. Yeah, that makes me curious about your voice. And if you have always felt like you've been connected to your voice, or if someone, something, teachers and I don't mean formal teachers, but maybe formal teachers, because there's so many teachers around us. But who helped you cultivate or what helped you cultivate a deeper connection with your voice? Mm, that's a good question. When I was a child, I sang all the time. When I was a baby, I even have a letter that my grandma wrote about me when I think I turned 12 years old. And she said, he always was singing as a <laughs> child. And I ended up doing musical theater, and I was in the New Orleans Symphony Children's Chorus, and I just sang all the time, and it made me feel most free and most alive, and just really filled me with a powerful energy. And when I was in the sixth grade, I got recruited into a chorus at the school I was attending. The teacher found out I was in the Symphony Children's Chorus, so she recruited me to be in this Christmas kind of pageant <laughs> and to play the starring role and had this big solo in the middle of it. And so I rehearsed and practiced for weeks and had it down and was so excited and went out on stage and the auditorium was filled with kids and grandparents and parents. And I just totally crashed. <laughs> and I remember that the chorus teacher, just the image is seared in my mind. She took her hands and she put them over her face and her eyes and she just shook her head violently. No. And I just somehow got through it and dragged myself off the stage. And all the other kids in the course were like, dude, you suck. And I went to bed bawling that night and I stopped singing for about 12 years. And it was so like shameful 
And so wounding, when we were kids, like these experiences of embarrassment or shame, or even like an authority figure judging us in a sense, it can add a lot of weight to our lives. And I found myself in college at the Evergreen State College up in Olympia, Washington. And I was doing an Irish studies, a year-long Irish studies program to deepen my connection to my ancestry. And I had a professor named Sean Williams, who was a daughter figure and student of one of Ireland's greatest singers, a man named Joe Heaney. He sings in an old traditional song form called Shanos. And he had passed on songs to her. She was with him on his deathbed. And he asked her to pass the songs on as, as her work. And so she offered to pass some songs on to a few of us who were in that program. And I hadn't sung in public in a dozen years or so. And the opportunity to sing, to connect to my ancestors as opposed to perform was a wonderful step for me. And so I would take these songs that I would start to learn from Sean, go into my little dorm room, lock the door, make sure my roommates weren't home, light a little candle and sit and start singing and coughing. And the image that came to my mind when I was doing this was like a wounded bird, an old wounded bird inside of me that was like... Mm -hmm. (laughs) like moving its wings a little bit and then collapsing and moving its moving its wings and collapsing and gradually as i practiced over weeks and months my voice started to come out again and it was like the bird started to fly a little bit and i pledged that after doing this year-long study i would go to ireland this would be my first trip a dream come true for since i was a child and that i would go to a pub and sing (laughs) (laughs) so i went to ireland for a month and traveled around and went to some pubs along the way. And as many pints as I would drink, (laughs) I would never be able to muster up the courage to do it because the old wound was just like, just Mm -hmm. there. And so Mm -hmm. I was on my last week there. I was in a beautiful remote county called Donegal, northwest corner of Ireland. And I walked into a pub and I heard the sound of the people talking, just the sound of a crowd. And something was different about it. And I closed my eyes and listened. And I realized everyone was speaking Irish and Gaelic. And I heard some music in the back and I walked to the back and there was a separate room with about a dozen musicians and they were just jamming and they playing jigs and reels and they'd stop. And then just someone from the village would stand up, like an old woman or a little kid would stand up and belt out a song and the entire pub, a couple hundred people would hush and they would just this reverence, this like prayer and they'd listen. And I was like, oh my God, this is the place where I'm going to sing. So I had a couple of pints <laughs> and I eventually like was just shaking and my heart was beating and I nudged one of the musicians gently and I said, uh, <clears throat> I'd like to sing a song. And he goes, stand up, lad, stand up. This man's going to sing a song. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so I stood up and I sang a song called Skibbereen. Mm-hmm. which is about a place that some of my ancestors are from, a lament. And I could sing a little bit, a few lines of it, if you want to hear, get a feel for it. I closed my eyes and I went to that place where I'd go when I started learning these songs, which is like a, the vision I had was like a tunnel. And my ancestors were there, like waiting for me. And so yeah, I closed my eyes and I sing. Oh, Father, we often hear you speak of Erin's Her lofty scenes, her valleys green, her mountains rude and wild. They say it is a lovely land wherein prince might dwell. Oh, why did we to me tell? My son, I love my native land with energy and pride. Till the blight came over all my crops, my sheep and cattle died. My rent and taxes were so high, 
I could not That's the reason we left old Skibbervie. It's well I do remember that cold November day. When the landlord and the sheriff came to drive us all away. They set our roof ablaze in fire with their damning British plea. That's the cruel reason we left old Skibbery. Your mother, too, God rest her soul, fell on the snowy ground. She fainted in her anguishing the desolation round. She never rose but passed away. From life to mortal dream She found a grave And place of rest In dear old Skibbery You were only two months old and feeble was your frame. I could not leave you with my friends, for you bore your father's name. I wrapped you in my coltamore at the dead of night unseen. We heaved a sigh and bid goodbye to dear old Skibbery. Oh, Father dear, the day will come when on vengeance we will call. When Irishmen, both stout and stern, will rally one and all. I'll be the man to lead the van beneath the flag of green. And loud and high, We'll raise the cry Justice for Skibbereen I stood there and my heart was just beating. I was shaking and the whole pub started roaring and clapping and next thing you know my table was filled with pints, gifts from everyone there and a couple of guys walked over and they said uh love's brilliant so lovely and grand me and my friend have a wager here where are you from lad you're from Galway or you're from Dublin and I said I'm from New Orleans <laughs> and they said for fuck's sake where'd you learn to sing like that <laughs> and uh, it was like full circle from that sixth grade experience just full circle healing my ancestors just coming home, a reawakening, a dream come true. And I haven't stopped singing since that moment. And not long after returning from Ireland, discovered Sufi chanting and kirtan and mantras from Bhakti Yoga tradition and went on a deep journey and continue on a deep journey sharing that side of sound. And one of my missions is to create spaces where people can sing because it's one of the greatest gifts that we have. And our culture is so dysfunctional around so many things. And one of them is the idea of art and creativity and singing being reserved just for a few people. It's a really messed up 
idea that it really chokes our expression and our creativity. So one of the things I like to do in the world is make spaces for people to rebel against that conditioning that we have. Mm-hmm. That was such a gift. You are a gift. And I like traveled, as you sang. I love that music does that. It can make us time travel. That's my experience of it. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you you singing it here. And I'm curious about, given the song and the little I know about your background, curious to know some about your people, your ancestors, and if there are ancestors you want to call into this space, or just I'm inviting you to share more about your lineage. Yeah, most of my ancestors come from Ireland, and those are the ones that I feel the deepest connection with. And my grandmother, Mary Lyons Burke, really instilled a love of Ireland. Her grandfather was from Ireland, and she would tell me stories that he told her. And when I was very little, she gave me an Irish flag and a little laminated shamrock that I would keep under my pillow and sleep. And I was named Sean by my mother, who named me after an Irish priest. It was funny. I, years ago, I had an, a yoga teacher who really wanted to give me a spiritual name, a Sanskrit name. And I was so honored and blessed by that. But I was like, I already have a spiritual name. I don't, that's wonderful that you want me to have another one. But I have, it was gifted to me by my mother when it comes from Ireland. And it means gift of God. And my grandmother, Mary Lyons Burke, really instilled a deep love of Ireland. And I have other ancestors on my father's side as well from Ireland. And one ancestor that I want to call in is my brother, Jeremy, who passed away in 2013 in a drowning accident. And one of my practices over these years has been to connect to his spirit. And sometimes it feels far away, or not far away, it feels like I'm far away. <laughs> I think he's always there. And sometimes I feel more numb than others. And I have had a, a few experiences of his presence and just very visceral of him gifting me with his strength while I was singing. Not too long after he passed away, it was a really powerful experience. And uh, yeah, he's with me. I call him in. I have a picture of him right here of him when he was a newborn. I was two and a half and I'm holding him. And my son, Finn, is two and a half. I was thinking about that today as I was preparing for this. And I was like, wow, I was holding Jeremy at the age that Finn is now. And yeah, Jeremy's with me. He's in my heart and no doubt, (laughs) Mm -hmm. very present. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those are the ancestors that I'd like to call in right now. And as I mentioned, I really feel them powerfully when I'm singing. It's just, I know that's not for everybody, but that's the vehicle for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I'm not a singer. And when I do allow myself to chant or sing or make sound, there is a freedom. You spoke about this. In my mind, it makes sense that through that freedom, I would then be able to feel a connection with my people, like my ancestors through sound, right? Through vibration, through energy like that. So it makes sense to me that you have this experience of connecting with them most when you're singing. Yeah, that freedom, the resonance. You mentioned the journey that singing can and listening can take us on. I think that It's incredibly liberating practice when we allow ourselves to open to it, and it can be very healing as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I am thinking about the wound that you spoke of and how you stopped singing for 12 years, and then what allowed healing to happen. And I'm thinking about that in connection with all that is unfolding and happening in our world at this time. and. Curious to hear your experience. I was going to say perspective, but that's not what I want to ask. I want to know how you're experiencing this moment, this time. How does it feel to be alive at this time is the question I want to ask. Yeah, you asked this question the last time we were together in soul school. And I have the same answer, which is tender. It feels tender right now, vulnerable, just on a personal level and on a cultural level you know, level with everything that's happening politically and socially and upheaval and extremism and fake messaging and and social media. It's just, it's such a loud, chaotic time right now. And I feel, yeah, I I just feel daily the sense of tenderness inside of that. There's a lot coexisting. 
there's a hope, possibility, fear, anger, disgust. There's a little bit of cynicism that rises every now and again that I listen to that voice and then sing a little bit. So it just, for me, it's about not denying any of it or trying to pretend that some of it isn't there. There's days where I feel more hopeful and more optimistic. And there's other days where I feel less. And I try not to let it shut me down. I think it's easy for us to get shut down by all that's happening. And that for me, that's about sticking with my practices. I sing every morning. First thing after I get up, try to capture that bass, <laughs> the morning mm-hmm. voice, and carry that resonance with me through the rest of the day. That's one of my biggest practices, singing and some meditation as well, the asana ritual. I have a um, deep connection with a presence from Ireland and Celtic spirituality. Her name is Bridget. She's a goddess from pre-Christian times and a saint in Celtic Christianity. And so I have a light, that I, a candle that I received in a ritual in Ireland where you light your little taper to her light, and then you symbolically get to carry that with you. So I li- daily I light a candle. I have it lit right now, actually. And when someone is in need of some healing or some help or some support, I light a candle for them. And that's some of the ways that I'm dealing with the volume and intensity of what's happening right now. And then I've, one thing that I've just discovered that's been a real takeaway for me from the pandemic is holding space and teaching actually feed me more than I realized because there was a period of time back in March when we first went into quarantine where I wasn't teaching as much and it was almost like a I was in withdrawal from that and so when I started teaching again online I was also very skeptical about heart being able to create heart connection over zoom and online and I've really been incredibly surprised that is possible and so to be able to connect to people to hold space together online has fed and nourished me very much at this time. One of the things that I feel that is connected to the work that you're sharing was around grief and how both on a the personal level of grief when we lose something or someone and the collective grief experiencing the trauma of the injustice and pain and suffering and oppression that's happening in our culture right now. I don't feel like our dominant culture equips us with tools to deal with grief, to talk about it. And as a result, I feel like it creates even more dis-ease and sickness in our culture. So everybody grieves in their own way, personally. Some Mm -hmm. of the patterns that we see individually around grief, which one of the main ones is avoidance, I feel like that is really manifesting itself culturally right now, where a lot of the tension that's happening and the pain that's happening is because we're not communicating and we're not listening either. So I think these are some things that hopefully are happening more, but I feel like we need better listening and communication around our grief, what is grieving us personally and collectively. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. To that, and that brings me back to it's another question about your ancestors and ritual and because you're right dominant culture doesn't really well at all support us in making space to grieve and leaning into the discomfort that may be present in our bodies at this time given all that that you named all that's going on i'm wondering if you're receiving messages from your ancestors about how to move through this time how to grieve um, how to tap into your own resilience. The message that I get from my brother, from Jeremy, is that there is so much more to this reality than I'm aware of, and many of us are aware of, and that the numbness that I sometimes feel, that there's something on the other side of that. And, and I see that in the collective as well. But it's still very mysterious to me. And so the mess, it's not a complete message that I'm getting from him, but it is one of believing in a greater sense of what this world is that we're living in. And that does not at all negate the pain and the suffering and the challenges and adversity that we're experiencing, but just to hold that there is a wider 
way of looking and experiencing what's happening. But it's still very mysterious to me, Michelle, and I can't claim to have, mm-hmm. I can't claim to have an answer or to understand where we're going. And it would be insincere of me to say that I, at the same time, I also have faith in mystery. It's actually the name of our album that's going to be rolling out this year. And I have faith in what we can't see. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. You use that word mystery because I was thinking about it as you were answering. What are you discovering about mystery right now at this time? It's not about knowing why this was happening or what even is happening. Who knows? I mean, we know some things and our perspective, they're limited. But yeah, I think my question is about curiosity and what you're discovering at this time. Not only the avoidance, the trauma, the numbness, the how are we going to move through this, but the what is piquing your interest at this time and opening your heart. That's the question. Yeah, yeah. What's opening my heart is being with people who want to open their hearts, you know, as well. And the community, like I mentioned earlier, I didn't believe that you could create a sense of community and connection, not in person. And so it's been revelatory for me to actually be in you know, a number of different spaces, both as a facilitator and as a student or just peer participant, where that heart connection is happening, where the vulnerability is happening, where people are speaking to honestly to the way they're feeling and not pretending, and and also a sense of wanting to honestly speak to the pain that we're experiencing as well, not in a let's flash on the news and see what's happening, because that's not really dealing with grief. It's interesting that we're obsessed with headlines and news and 24 hours, and yet experiencing these things a few seconds at a time, but not really allowing ourselves to feel and to absorb, Mm -hmm. you know, and to grieve and process and integrate what's happening. And so to be in spaces, healing spaces where we get to speak to that. And then, like I mentioned earlier, for me, it's to sing through that, to create a ritual around the voice where we get to feel. Uh, If I did not have singing, I think I would have a lot of stuff lodged in me and in my body. And I've worked with sound both personally and with other folks as a way of actually feeling, of exercising the heart and in a sense, exorcising, (laughs) purging the heart as well. And so that continues to be the thing that opens my heart and wakes me up (laughs) over and over again, helps me remember when I've forgotten over and over again. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's so interesting. There's an ice storm in North Carolina right now. And so like ice is falling from the trees and it's making me think about this moment in time and loud sounds like tree limbs are falling and that, and that we can open the heart even as ice is falling and destruction is happening and tree branches are falling and we can't control nature in that way. And although we influence and and affect nature for sure, but how we can still open the heart, which is one of the things I appreciate many things about you and very much appreciate. I can feel your open heart. Like when we have been in space together in this space, it's very clear to me that your heart's available. And I don't mean in a way that is careless. I just mean an openness that I don't always see in people because dominant culture really doesn't condition us, um, encourage us to open the heart instead to be closed and boundaried in a way that doesn't allow us to connect. I appreciate your open heart. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We talked a little bit about this time and what's unfolding now, and you also shared some of your practices. And I wonder if there are other things that are bringing refuge to you at this time. They're singing, they're your daily practices, there's connection. And if there are any other things you want to share with folks, I'm asking this because I think people, when they hear other people, they get ideas about, oh yeah, could try that too. So that's where the yeah. questions come in sure, from. Sure, sure. I have I have a toddler son, my Fingerai, yeah. and a great point of refuge for me in my daily life is just getting down on the ground with him and playing with him and suspending the part of my consciousness that's worrying about deadlines and responsibilities and the world and all that we just talked about and just getting down into his consciousness, which is just so open. And I have so much to learn from him or unlearn to be able to connect with him and to play and to be in improvisational space that's unstructured and unplanned and to really play, to pretend, to 
capture each other's imaginations and turn things. Like I love that he turns. He has a, is a toy vacuum cleaner that is an electric guitar. He has a <laughs> stick that is a, a leaf blower that he walks around that. And I love that we're constantly turning. He's a little alchemist and he's turning something into something different. And we do it over and over again together. And it's so healing for me to be in that play, pretend, imaginary space. And also knowing that I'm feeding that. I don't want him to lose that connection. So many of us, as we grow older and start to get graded and judged and experience the competitiveness that is so much a part of our dominant culture, just get shut down along the way. So we heal each other in that sense. That's one of my practices is just play, playing. And I try to have moments of gravity in my life and also levity. I think it's really important to be able to hold, you know, both of those simultaneously. And I know this is something just simple for everybody, but I just, I like to take a walk <laughs> and mm-hmm. get some fresh air and some space and some perspective. And New Orleans is a really beautiful place. And we live in a neighborhood with a lot of live oak trees and just to feel the presence, you know, of the trees and, and the atmosphere and the air and the water here in New Orleans has always been really moving and invigorating for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was curious to know if you were going to mention the natural world and connecting in that way. And you said it sounds simple, but it's it's not so easy for some folks to, for many reasons, but to remember like the tree is right outside. <laughs> you can go connect with it or the leaf is on the ground. It's again, that's something that I think perhaps was a practice for our ancestors for sure and in ceremony. And we have to relearn that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you want folks to know about who you are, this moment, what you do, the voice, anything else you want to name? I guess I just want to encourage folks to, in whatever way is unique to each of us, to explore their voice. And so this is the power of our words, whether it's the writing that we're doing. I I like to uh, hold spaces for journaling with live music playing and poetry. And uh, this is an incredible way for us to bring what's in the interior outward and to coax and honor and gently bring out what's in our hearts into, into a manifest space. And then there's singing as well. And I know so many people in our culture are walking around with a judgment around their voice, which is often from an experience, maybe that like I shared, or family member who said, you shouldn't be singing, or you suck as a singer, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I really hope that folks can just look at whatever wounds they might have around their voice and just find a place, even if it's the closet or the car by themselves or the shower, to be able to explore moving sound through their bodies, through energy through their bodies, through sound. One of the things that I really honor about yoga's orientation to sound is the belief that there is a powerful creative potency in sound and that our voices can be used intentionally to help us manifest. And so mantra is a big part of this practice, but also just being more deliberate about our words and how we communicate and speak and speak to one another is something that's very important to me. And I think this is a big part of yoga as well that is not paid attention to in the Western experience of yoga very often. The yoga of speech, the yoga of being fluent and articulate Mm -hmm. and expressing what is in our interior as clearly as we can. And it can arise from our diplomacy and conversation to the way that we communicate through difficulty or tension, conflict resolution, the way we can restore one another, repair one another. I think words, there's an expression I never understood. It sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't think that's true. I think that words can haunt us and can cause wars and we can see it happening in our culture right now. So being more mindful in a healthy way around our speech and our communication and our voice and the way we create, you know, with our speech is something that that I pay a lot of attention to and try to create spaces for folks to explore. Mm -hmm. I love that. I was teaching, was giving a lecture yesterday and I was talking about the Bhagavad Gita and the point in the Gita where Krishna says to Arjuna, your thoughts don't align with your words, don't align with your actions. When Arjuna is exasperated 
And I love every part of the Gita. And I love that particular verse because it feels like it calls people into alignment. What am I thinking? And what am I doing? And how am I feeling? And right, what am I saying? And just the reminder and what you shared about the power of words made me think about that and the power of communication and courage and communication and clarity when it's present and just understanding the impact of words and how they're connected to our thoughts and how we feel and what we do. Absolutely. And I think it has a lot to do with listening first, whether that's to our own mind or to the ancestors being quiet and then speaking based on what we hear in the interior. I think it's kind of a meditation as well, and, and it can help really create that sense you know, of alignment. That's really possible and can be really powerful. And we think about some of the, the, or, the great orators, even like Martin Luther King. I wonder sometimes if he didn't have the voice that he had, the shakti in his voice, like if he would have had as, as much of an impact and his voice would be resonating into the future the way that it is. Having experienced Amanda Gorman at the inauguration and the shakti in her voice, there were some nice speeches that day, which were lovely. But when she spoke, there was a spark, a spirit in her voice that matched her words and the feeling and emotion behind her words. It was all in alignment. And that when we have that, there's a transmission. It's a kind of shaktipat, which in the yoga tradition, this is a transmission of power, creative power, feminine power. And that can happen through speech and through our voices and through the sonic vocal practices of yoga. We can actually, I think many of us are born with that, the golden tongue, born with that, but also we can cultivate that. And in the same way that we can build strength and flexibility and spaciousness mm -hmm. and peace and all the other benefits of yoga. But yeah, that's an important one for sure. Speaking of that, I know you want to, or you're going to gift us another song and, and your voice as we close our time together. And before you offer that, I want to ask if there's anything you want folks to know about that's coming up or we'll put in the show notes how people can connect with you. But is there sure, anything you sure. want people to know? I have a yoga community here in New Orleans called Wild Lotus Yoga. And we've had the blessing of having you come and offer the gifts of your training to our entire staff uh, mm -hmm. last year. And actually, I think was it two years ago now? <laughs> the time is I think flown. it was last year. Last but well, year, no. Yeah. yeah, it was last Early year. last year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> January. Yeah. And we're taking it one day at a time. It's been a challenge for a lot of yoga communities out there. And But we have online classes that we're offering. I teach it a weekly bhakti flow yoga practice. We have wonderful teachers that have been through the soul school training and the kind of the way that we shorthand describe what we do. We call ourselves a New Orleans home for heart-centered yoga and down-to-earth spirituality. And so it's very much about staying in the heart and keeping it real. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we have our classes there. And, and through that platform, I'm also offering a wonderful year around the Celtic Wheel of the Year, which is honoring all of the sacred holidays from the Celtic calendar. I offer this with my dear friend, Mary Megan over in Ireland. And uh, we share songs and prayers and rituals and practices that help people to really move with nature around the year. So if there's folks out there that are interested in that work, you're certainly welcome and invited. And finally, I want to let you know that we're going to be rolling out a new album. This is my band, uh, the Wild Lotus Band. My bandmates, Alvin Young and Gwendolyn Coleman, one single at a time, starting at the end of April through the end of the year, we're going to be releasing uh, this new album called Mystery. And it's really exploring the space of the grace inside, what we can't see, what we don't have evidence for. <laughs> And uh, songs that kind of celebrate that, what we don't know, and maybe hopefully help us to name and honor that which can't be seen, can't be explained. <laughs> so it's ironic to try to do, to find a form to do that, but that's the paradox of that is also mysterious. So <laughs> that's real. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a lot of different offerings that I hope people check out and connect with you. And I would love for you to offer another, as I said, gift, another song to us as a way of us transitioning out of this space and onto into the next space. Thanks so much, Michelle. It's been a joy to be with you today.
Thank you for being here and being you and saying yes. Thank you, you too. Mm-hmm. So this is a song I wrote many years ago for my hometown, for New Orleans, shortly after Hurricane Katrina hit us hard. And it's called I Will Rise Again. And it's a song that has a mantra in it as a chorus. So if you're listening and you want to sing along, I encourage you. This is a traditional mantra that comes from the Hindu and yoga traditions that honors the presence and the power of transformation and change and rebirth that lives inside all of us, no matter what culture we come from or what our beliefs are. This is a universal energy that is encapsulated inside of this traditional mantra. And it's Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. And yeah, this is the song, I Will Rise Again. It's on our our album, Unity, if anybody wants to hear the fuller version of it. Om Namah Shivaya 
Om Namah Shivaya Om Namah Shivaya Om Namah Shivaya Om Namah Shivaya Om Namah Shivaya Om Namah Shivaya Om Namah Shivaya Om Namah Shivaya Om Namah Shivaya Om Namah Shivaya Shivaya Namah Shivaya Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. And as I said before, being you and sharing your voice with us and for your open heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. So grateful. Thanks Mm -hmm. for doing this for all of us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. You can support Finding Refuge by sharing it with your friends, family members, and beloveds, and rating it on iTunes. You can support my work by becoming a patron on Patreon. My name on Patreon is Skill in Action. Thank you so much, and take care, friends.